So you've gotten some refreshment, you've taken a little bit of a break, you've soaked in verses 1 through 5. Now let's look at verse number 6 of Matthew 7, and let's encapsulate uh, this last part that I have for you today. In verse number 6, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time in your word. Help us to understand now as your disciples, as we've known what it means to be introspective first and to pass judgment on ourselves and to have self-examination. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink of that bread and that cup. Lord, it's when we look at ourselves first that we can see you more clearly and then we can see how to help others the way we ought to as we walk with you, Lord. This will enable us to have a greater discernment on what we do for the gospel. As we give out your message, Lord, the message of the kingdom was what Jesus preached in his day. And then he commissioned his disciples to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. That's the good news, Lord, that you came and died on Calvary. As we sang about at Calvary, years I spent vanity and pride, caring not that my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died. You did that, Lord, because you loved us and gave yourself for us that we could be freed from sin. I pray that you'll help us to understand better what this verse means about giving that which is holy unto the dogs and casting pearls before swine. I pray you'll help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, back to William Penn's words, they have a right to censure that have a heart to help. They have a right to censure that have a heart to help. We made some striking statements as we began earlier. Some statements that uh, I'm not sure if, well, I'm sure everyone in Colorado does not agree with me on many of those five statements that I made. Maybe all of them, maybe one of them. Regardless, that is from the truth of God's Word. And we stand on that. It's unchanging. It's timeless. It's unwavering. And God is not some, uh, some vindictive judge waiting to strike people with lightning bolts whenever they step outside of that transgression. He gives us the knowledge of himself and the right way to walk in so that we can find life. And Jesus, in this whole passage, is going to talk about two ways, two roads. There's two, uh, there's two trees. There's two of many things that Jesus uh, teaches about here. And I think there's parallels with that, contrasts and comparisons that we can make. And so as Jesus has exposed the hypocrisy that could be in the heart of his disciples, certainly was in the heart of the Pharisees, no doubt, he gave the prohibition. He helps his disciples to discern the difference between logs and specks. He gives the prohibition. Judge not until you can see clearly. When you can do that, then you can help. There's a purpose because you're going to stand before God one day and give an account for what you judge on others. And God's going to hold you to that same standard. And there will be loss at the judgment seat of Christ if we don't have the right attitude and the right motive in this. We need to have respect under the recompense of reward as the Lord will judge both the living and the dead, the quick and, and the dead at his appearing. What was the prescription on how to get right? Well, it's secure yourself before trying to assist others. Get the beam, get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to help someone else. The dilemma is that we can wind up being a disqualified ophthalmologist. And it's a shocking absurdity to think that we would walk around with this sticking out of our face and not even be able to see it. What if you can't see this? Jesus is pointing it out. 
But on, in contrast to that, in adversity to that, there's a surgical stupidity when we not only have this sticking out of our face, but we then try to go and help somebody with a piece of dust in their eye, and we have this big log sticking out of ours, that surgical stupidity. The directive that Jesus gives is basically get qualified before you do any operating on anyone else. To be qualified means that you've gone to God yourself, you've gotten right with Him, you've gotten that beam out of your own eye. And the purpose of self-judgment, Wearsby said, is to serve others. We judge ourselves first so that then we can see clearly and assist others in their walk with God. As Jesus has exposed hypocrisy and dealt with that as a very real possibility in the lives of those that would follow Him, He now moves into verse number 6 where He uh, seeks to put an end to his disciples' naivety, a possible naivety that they could be engaged in. Ending that naivety. And this would be discerning, not of logs and specks, but Jesus moves now to be discerning of dogs and pigs. Or as some commentators call it, dogs and hogs. Whichever one you like better, swine, hogs, pigs, they're all the same creatures. And uh, boars, wild boars, the Bible talks about those animals. They do roam free and and they range in the land of Israel. Uh, strikingly, as I perused commentaries, I found something that was absent that I thought surely I would see more of as I looked at what other people had written and said about pigs in particular. I surely expected to see the instance of Jesus and the maniac of Gadara, but strikingly absent from all of the commentaries I consulted. Maybe someone wrote about it, but I couldn't find where they did. Uh, he didn't once, not one of those commentaries uh, pointed out that I saw, you know, the maniac of Gadara, and yet there's a whole instance there of uh, an illustration of pigs. And what happens when the demons take over those pigs and legion goes into those swine and they end in destruction as they run off the cliff into the sea, strikingly absent from the commentaries. Strange. Ending naivety. What are we talking about? Well, Jesus is talking about giving that which is holy unto the dogs and casting pearls before swine. Generally, this is understood to be uh, the message of the kingdom. And if you trace Matthew's argument in particular, this makes sense, I think, because Jesus took over the message of John the Baptist. What was the message of John the Baptist? What did he preach? Repent. I'll help you out with the first part there. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If something is at hand, it is within reach. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. You need to turn around if you're going to find it. And Jesus explains to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. It's at hand, but you're not going to see it. You're not going to be able to lay your hands on it unless you repent and turn around and be converted and change your mind towards God and about yourself. And so Jesus took up that message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Question. Who was that message preached to primarily? What people group? Was it Jews or Gentiles? We'll narrow it down to two. To the Jews. Why so to the Jews? Well, because they had been committed with the oracles of God and had fallen from God's grace and actually rejected the Messiah that He promised He would send. And so as they reject Jesus Christ, the message to them is change your mind because God is working a work among you. And this was the work that was prophesied, that was promised would happen. Uh, Pastor Creed preached marvelously on that on Tuesday night, about the, the, the work that God would do through His people, through Israel. And so the message for them is repent. 
And many of them believed, and they, they heeded the message of John the Baptist, and they came through that, that uh, conversion process sealed, and the symbol was baptism. They were under the baptism of John. Jesus takes up John's mantle as he's been in prison for preaching righteousness and standing up to old Herod in his day and saying, you can't have this relationship with your brother's wife that you're seeking to have. And, and uh, John the Baptist wouldn't, break, wouldn't back down on what was right. And Herod uh, had him thrown in jail. And we know the end of that story. John lost his head because of wickedness and unrighteousness. And he stood for truth and justice and mercy and, and the word of God. So Jesus takes up the mantle. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew traces, it's the kingdom gospel, right? Uh, we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they can be synonymous. You can interchange them, I think. Matthew is where you're going to see the kingdom of heaven uh, more so. Your father which art in heaven, he deals with that. And so throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's the kingdom of God. Uh, maybe I have that backwards. Matthew might be the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom. No, it's seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Is that how it goes? Let's look back at Matthew 6.33. That'll answer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So Matthew is focused on the kingdom of God. The rest is the kingdom of heaven. And so don't get too, you know, splitting hairs on what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Just read the Bible and let the Bible stand. As Jesus preaches this message, later on in chapter number 10, he's going to commission, chapter 10 of Matthew, he's going to commission his disciples to go out with the message. And who are they going to go to first? To the house of Israel. Now there will be Gentiles along the way in Jesus' ministry that he'll not turn away. He's promised if any come to him, he would in no wise cast out. And there's an interesting correlation, I think, with what we're talking about today with the Syrophoenician woman. There's other Gentiles. You think about the, uh, the nobleman's son. You think about um, others that are outside of Israel that will receive faith. So it's not saying that Gentiles can't be saved even in the ministry of Christ, but primarily he came into his own and his own received him not. The gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Greek. But the ground is level at the cross. And the hang-up for the Jewish people is they're thinking that they can have righteousness with God through their own works and they've misdefined righteousness according to God's word. You see, the law that God gave them showed them how to be righteous in his eyes and they took that and misdefined it to say, now we're righteous and we have good standing with God, when in fact they were blind and couldn't see their own sinful condition that they had misdefined. And they began teaching for the commandments of God, the doctrines of men. And Jesus points all of that out to them. And they had fallen drastically short. So as his disciples are commissioned to go forth with this message, and you know, they do all these mighty works, the same things that Jesus are doing, they're able to do and cast out demons and heal people and, and the blind receive their sight. The power of the gospel is working in through his disciples. It's the same message. So keep that in mind. As he says these words about casting your pearls before swine and giving that which is holy unto the dogs. Sadly, some have misinterpreted this, I think, through the course of church history to put it in a box that I don't think is, is justifiable. What do I mean by that? Uh, well, if you trace the corridors of church history, you'll find people applying this to the Lord's table and the Eucharist alone. And they say, you know, you shouldn't allow unbelievers to come and sit at the table of the Lord. Okay, let's answer this question. Is someone who is not saved 
Uh, if someone is not saved, should should they be partaking of the Lord's table? No. If they're not willing, now, keyword, if they're not willing to follow the Lord in believers' baptism after they're saved, should they be partaking of the table of the Lord? No. Because they need to get those things right first. Salvation by faith through grace, and then saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I identify with Christ in, in the blood-bought church. And through that, then, they can come and have open fellowship and open communion. Not open communion, let me clarify that. We practice what's called close communion here. And there's reasons for that. And I have you know, pastor friends that would disagree and they would call it closed communion and they offer that only to church members. And somehow those pastors think that they can know what's going on in people's lives enough to know whether they're right with God to come to the table. And I don't know. I understand you know, there's an element of church discipline that you can exercise when you have closed communion that if we're saying close I don't know, I just have a hard time if my pastor from Minnesota came. Who am I to say that he's not right with God? You know, you're not a member of our church, so you can't partake in communion. I just, I don't know, I just, I'm going to stand before God for that. I know I'm going to give an account for the pastor that the Lord has allowed me to serve here as. So I'm just saying, I don't think that you can put this in a box of just being communion only, or the Eucharist only, or the Lord's table only. Cast not your pearls before swine, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. If you limit it to that scope, you're going to miss, I think, a major premise that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about as they go out into the world. What strikes me is that Jesus now is winding back all the way to what he said in the beginning of his message. So many things correlate and compare about being salt and light and the persecution that they would face. Remember, the very last beatitude prepared them for that persecution. And so now he's saying, be careful. Have discernment. What Jesus is not saying here is that we should preach the gospel only to some people and exclude others. That's not what he's saying. We preach the gospel to every creature. If you're going to say that there's some that don't need to hear that this is, you know, the holy things before dogs, you're going to miss what Jesus said. In this very gospel, at the end of it, Jesus commissioned the church to go and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we can't wrestle this into saying that there's some people that we shouldn't preach the gospel to. That's ludicrous. So if that's not what Jesus means, what, what is this idea? We get it. We're not supposed to give that which is holy to the dogs. And we're not supposed to cast our pearls, our precious things, our treasures before swine. What, what, is, what is he talking about there? Well, let's look at the force of the passage and hopefully it will become a little bit clearer. Ending naivety, discerning of dogs and pigs. Before we look at each of these elements, let me do a little textual work with you to help you see what I believe is happening here. There's a, there's a clause-level chiasmus that we're looking at. Now follow along with me. I'll show you another verse that will correlate with this. Let's put our thinking cap on, and let's also think... Um, as close as we can like a Hebrew. I know we're English speakers, but there's some Semitism. There's some Hebraistic elements of what Jesus is teaching here. I've already alluded to that earlier about the redundancy. 
You know, it might seem like a digression to some people. It's not a digression. He's using a teaching method to reiterate a fact. And while he's saying the same thing in a different way, he's driving the point home with these ludicrous illustrations of, you know, poles sticking out of people's heads and things. And so he's repeating exactly what he said in verse 1 and verse 2. He's just teaching in a way that it, it, uh, it's saying it again. Sometimes we need to hear things more than once. We need to hear it more than once. Now, you know, if you keep badgering it, you know, three times or more is nagging, I'm told. So I'll stop there. Look at verse number six carefully with me. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, comma. That's letter A. Now inset letter B with the next phrase. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. That's letter B. Now letter B on the out. Paralleled the next phrase, lest they, who? Who are the they? What's the antecedent to the pronoun? Pigs. Now move back out to the corresponding A and turn again and rend you. So who's going to do the rending? Pigs or dogs? Maybe both. But in this layout, specifically dogs. So do you see? Let's follow it again. He says, give not that which is holy unto who? The dogs. That's A. B. Cast ye, neither cast ye your pearls before who? Swine. Lest they, letter B again, lest they, the swine, trample them under their feet, and then back out to letter A, and turn again and rend you. The dogs do the rending. So who does the trampling? The pigs. Who does the rending? The dogs. Does that fit with what we know about dogs and pigs? It sure does. I, re- I had friends and family that raised hogs, and I used to have to go help them. One of the funnest things we ever did was try to chase them when they'd get out. We'd have barbed wire. I mean, sometimes we'd run a fence, you know, down along the ground. We'd stake that thing in. Somehow or another, it was usually the runt that got carried into the home that became the family pet that always got out of the pen. The other ones were content to be in the mud, but this guy knew what it was like to be in the house, I guess, and he wouldn't have it, so he would root out any chance he got. And I remember we would chase him and chase him and grab him and toss him back into the pen and stake it down some more, and he'd tear it up again and stake it down. And so, you know, pigs trample. They do trample. Now, there's an aspect in which, uh, you know, we'll talk about pigs here in a moment, but do you see, do you see the clause-level chiasmus? You don't have to say yes to that. X marks the spot. Okay, we work in. And that'll help us understand the flow. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, that makes sense. Now I can see the picture in a greater way. The dogs and the pigs. So here is an illustration. Give not that which is holy to the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before the swine. Lest they, the swine, trample. And then the dogs turn again and rend. Let's look at these dogs and these pigs. Why do we not need to give that which is holy unto the dogs? Because, simply put, dogs are undeserving of sacred offerings. Now, let's let's help our understanding about dogs in this context. I love dogs. Um, If I had to pick a dog or a cat, I don't know. I'd probably pick dogs anymore. I grew up with cats. I know all about cats. I know how vindictive cats are. I know how attitudinal they can be. 
and uh, they can be the you know the best pets that you could ever have. I also know how much they get hair everywhere. Some dogs do too. I understand. There's pros and cons to each. So you know, but if I had to pick and go to the store today and pick something, now kids don't. No, we're not doing it. Okay, don't just table that thought. But if we were, if we didn't live in Colorado, maybe. Or if we had land somewhere that they could be free and actually be a dog, like a dog's supposed to be, maybe I would consider. But that's not the mindset of the dogs that are being talked about here. We're not talking about household pets. We're talking about the stray, the, the, the mangy stray. Okay? We're talking about the ravenous. We're talking about, hey, here's one. We've got a sign out here that they put up right in front of the community center that warns you about dogs. You know which one I'm talking about? It's the one that says if you're you know, less than three feet tall, you shouldn't be out here alone because the coyotes will get you. You know that sign on the open spaces around here. There are dogs that you have no business messing with and you just need to keep your distance because they're going to chew you up and spit you out and have you for dinner. That's the kind of dog that Jesus is referencing here when he says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Now put your Jewish hat on. Put your yarmulke on if you're a guy. Okay? Put your, put your Jewish hat on. How sacrilegious would it be for a Jewish person if the temple was still standing today in Jerusalem to go and make an offering you know, they've got their lamb or they've got whatever they were they were processing for that offering. They've got it all taken care of. And they take that. Rather than take it to the altar, they just uh, pass that off and toss it to the dogs. You know, maybe they're walking by the Valley of Hinnom out there. And they take that meat that was supposed to go to the altar. And they toss that over in the Hinnom Valley. And there's these scavenging dogs down there looking for a morsel. Is the dog going to discern that that was headed to the altar as an offering, as a sacrifice. How sacrilegious, to a Jewish person, how sacrilegious would it be for them to take what was intended for God and give it to a scavenger like that that didn't understand the whole purpose behind the offering, thanksgiving. They're just, they're just out to fill their belly. That is close to, I think, what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. Give not that which is holy under the dogs. So what is that which is holy? Again, it's not limiting the preaching of the gospel to a certain group of people or somebody that we can single out and exclude. We preach the gospel to all. But as we go, we need to understand there are some people that, you know, this is, this is more than just, I can respect you believe that about Jesus in the Bible. You believe that the Bible is the word of God. And, and I respect that. You can believe God. and You can serve God and you can worship. That's not a dog. A dog is someone who rejects God and rejects all things holy and would turn around as a Christian and chew you up, you as a Christian. And they would turn around and chew you up and spit you out and persecute you to no end just because they hate God. And they have no discernment of spiritual things whatsoever. So, do we need a level of discernment on this? Yeah. The next time you go to your Thanksgiving family dinner, you're going to have some people there that are going to be okay with you reading your Bible and praying and seeking God. But the moment you start trying to turn it to them is the moment they're going to say, uh-uh. 
I don't think so. And in fact, if they're scavenging, and if they have a bent towards God that maybe you weren't even aware of until that moment, they're going to turn around and they're going to start chewing you up. And they're going to have you for dinner. And that's what's going to be the turkey. Literally. <laughs> Give not that which is... You need, to, you need to know when to stop. We don't shove what we believe down people's throats. And if we keep pursuing this, then we could be taking that which is holy, that which is sanctified and set apart. You see, we come and we open our Bible and we look at a passage like Matthew 7. If you're like me, when you get into that, it just enthralls you. And you go, oh Lord, I see your word in a way I never saw before. This is amazing. This is this is gold and silver and precious stone, the gems that I find in my devotional read, the things that the Lord shows me through the Holy Spirit. And then for me to turn around and try to share that with somebody who, they're not walking with God. They don't want anything to do with God. They're not going to get that. They're not going to be able to digest that. They'll just take it and chew it up and spit it out and leave the bones. And so casting your pearls before swine. Who are the dogs? These dogs, these are nasty creatures. The Bible talks about dogs. These are not household pets. Why can I make that distinction? Now, I had to look long and hard for this, but I believed it was there, and I was able to discern it. There's a different word that's translated in Matthew chapter 15 for dogs. So there are two kinds of dogs, even in the life of Israel. We understand there's two kinds of dogs. I've told you about them today. There's the coyotes, and then there's the house pets. And you don't let your house pets play around with the coyotes because the coyotes will have them for dinner. It's depending on the size, unless you have a you know a Rottweiler or a Doberman or something that can take on one of those coyotes, and then it'll send, send a tail, tail turn and run. You get the point. In this day and time, there's two kinds of dogs as well. There's a household dog, and those are the kind that you know they're okay to have around the house, and they'll come and they'll desire the crumbs that fall from the table. You don't believe me that dogs know how to do that, and you never have dogs. <laughs> Plain simple. They know. They know where the good stuff is too, and they'll sit there with those big, you know, puppy dog eyes, and they'll just beg until they get something, you know, even if it's a little something. And I don't know about you, but it makes me feel good, you know, when I can help them out along the way. And maybe I help them out a little too much, but uh, I just I can't say no. You know, there they are. How do you get? How, so cruel, just to no get away. It's something. I mean, throw them a bone, something. You know, they're just, they're so expected. You know, not like cats. You like cats. and Don't lock your cat in the trunk of a car, please. Or your dog, for that matter. But if you did, okay, let's just surmise for a moment. Hypothetically, if that were to happen, and you were to open that trunk ten minutes later, just ten minutes, that's all you need. Ten minutes. The difference between cats and dogs, the cat is going to hate you to no end. And be vindictive and take it out on you every chance it gets. The dog's going to be like, what are you doing with my life? I love you. It's great to see you. That's the difference. That's the difference. Dogs, these kind of dogs, totally undeserving of sacred offerings. There's an iterative negative. Imperative. Let's just get all the ifs in there. Iterative, negative, imperative. When he says give not, the sense would be never give. You should never do this. You should have enough discernment to know when too far is too far. We preach the gospel to all, but when we see the response that, oh, these, this is somebody that just, it's not time. It's not saying that God's done with that person. It just, God might need to work on them a little bit longer for them to come to the place where they can approach the things of God with humility and understand that there's a reverence, there's a sanctity, there's a, there's a holiness 
about the things of God, they're not there. And so we don't we ought to have discernment to, to never take the things that would build up God's people and, and help people find Christ, those that are really seeking, and give that to somebody who wouldn't even give it the time of day. Dogs. The the term here is a diminutive euphemism. And this is a reference simply to profane men. So what we're doing is we're looking at something physical that we can relate with. Okay, a dog, a, a you know, mangy, scavenging, roaming about dog. That you don't want to run into this kind of animal in the in a dark alley somewhere because it, you won't have a leg or something worse. Foaming at the mouth, maybe you know. I don't know. They're not rabid, but they're just nasty creatures. You don't believe me? Read even a little bit of what the Bible talks about dogs. If you don't believe dogs can be really gross, you've never had dogs either. They can be really disgusting. And I don't want to ruin your lunch, but um, the Bible does talk about a man named Lazarus who was laying at a gate full of sores, leper, leprosy. And the Bible says, moreover, it was, you know, as if it wasn't bad enough that he had desired the crumbs that would fall from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs would come and... Ugh. Uh, okay, the Jewish people had such a disdain for these kind of dogs, not the household dogs that Matthew 15 talks about, the ones that desire the crumbs from the table, not those household pets. These kind of dogs, if a Jewish person came in contact with a dog, head to toe, it wouldn't matter. Even if they just touched it, they would run, it would, they'd probably even run into the Jordan, as nasty as that water is. They would go fully clothed and bathe themselves in whatever water they could find and then get out just because they touched a dog. And that nasty. Yeah. Licking a leper's wounds. Okay, other instances. Well, there's a story about that toad of a king, Ahab, squatting upon the throne of Israel. Thank you, R.G. Lee. And he had a wife named Jezebel. And a prophecy was made about her that came to fulfillment. And part of that prophecy was that the dogs would consume her. And they did. And so a dog is not going to think twice about eating a corpse. Peter said it like this. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. If you don't know that dogs are gross, you've never had a dog. Or been around them long enough. Yeah, it's like they walk away, you know, five seconds later. Oh, what's that? It looks yummy. <laughs> now your stomach feels about like it should to read this passage. Give that, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. They have no place for that. They can't stomach that. They'll just devour it. And so these are distinct. It's metaphorical here what he's talking about. If you look at the last parallel, to turn again and rend you is participle. To turn again uh, is a circumstantial participle, and it's taking a physical action and speaking of it uh, for a mental action. So when we say metaphor, we're talking about one thing to talk about another. That's a metaphor, right? So to turn again, that's a physical thing. I can turn around, right? Physically, I can turn. But mentally, what are these people doing? What are these dogs doing? In their mind, they're turning on you. 
because of what you believe and what you've shared with them about God. You need to know how far to go in casting and giving that which is holy to the dogs. Don't do it. Dogs. Now let's look at pigs. Okay, so simply put, dogs are undeserving of sacred offerings. Are we clear on that? Don't take the things that God shows you in secret and share those with somebody who is vindictive towards the cause of Christ. You're going to do more damage and it's not going to benefit anything. Doesn't mean don't preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to everyone who will, who will hear you. But once you discern you don't have an audience, it's time to move on. I'll close uh, in just a moment with an illustration, I think, that will solidify both of these ideas. The second aspect, dogs are undeserving of the holy things. That's what Jesus is teaching. Secondly, it's almost one of those duh moments. Pigs don't eat pearls. <laughs> wow, Pastor, that's revelatory. I would have never figured that one out. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Why? Because they don't eat pearls. They don't. They don't even recognize the difference between a pearl and an acorn. And they like acorns. But they don't like pearls. They can't eat those. And yeah, Miss Piggy doesn't count. She does wear pearls. The only pig that does that I know of. Married to Pigs don't eat pearls. So this would be swine. This would be the wild boar common throughout the Jordan Valley. So this would be familiar to what Jesus is teaching. Uh, you can see them referenced in Psalm 80, verse 13. Now, that ought to bring up some things in our mind right away concerning the law, because we're talking about a Jewish culture, right? And uh, there's two cultures, even today, that abstain from pork, and they don't eat, they don't eat pig. They don't eat pork. The Jews and Islam, Muslim people, refrain from pork. Much of that goes back to what we read in Leviticus, where it tells us that even though uh, the, the pig, you know, clothes the hoof, just like a cow, you know, has a cloven hoof on its foot, the difference between the pig and the, and the cow, the, the cow can be clean, the pig is unclean, uh, because uh, of the reason listed there in Leviticus, and it's an unclean creature, and it's just, they're nasty creatures. I like bacon just like the next person, and I'm thankful for Acts chapter number 10, in Jewish custom, they don't eat pork uh, because it's unclean to them. The most unclean uh, animal of all. Leviticus 11.7, if you want the reference there. Other passages talk about the pig and its uncleanness. Now, it's also, I mean, I, I see it on both sides of what I, I found in the commentaries. You know, there's those that say that raising pigs is, is not a profitable, lucrative business for a Jewish person to be engaged in because, well, you have to give your grain to the pigs and then, you know, the grain that you should be using to feed others. You're having, it's expensive to raise pigs, and, and you don't get any milk from them. There's very little you can do with a pig apart from just use it for bacon. Uh, they don't give you milk, or you don't produce anything else from them, just the bacon or the ham hocks or whatever you want. It's good. But then others say, you know, it doesn't really take that much to raise pigs. So I see, you know, the argument from both sides. Pigs will eat just about anything. You don't have to break the bank on feeding them. They'll eat whatever you throw out there, except pearls. <laughs> they don't eat pearls because there's nothing there's nothing in there in the pearls that they would desire. Some Bible probably comes to your mind when you think about pigs. Maybe you think of a a young man, the prodigal, who went away and spent all his substance on riotous living. When he came to himself, 
He said, I'll return to my father's house. Where was he when he came to himself? With the pigs. And they would roam through uh, the, the valleys. They like, you know, oak areas because the acorns fall and they don't even look up. They just, they just eat acorns all day long. They'll eat acorns till they can't handle any more acorns and then go lay in the mud and uh, digest it all. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Cast not your pearls before swine. I mean, it's a pretty plain picture, I think. Why would a Jewish person ever take holy food? Maybe it was offered as a sacrifice. Why would they give that to unclean dogs? Why would he ever dream? <laughs> put your Jewish cap on again. Men, put your yarmulke on. Ladies, put your whatever you ladies put on for, okay, maybe a shawl or something. Why would a Jewish person ever give a pearl to a pig? Not any Jewish person that I know. They're pretty smart people. And uh, if you don't believe that, just walk down the market streets in Jerusalem. And you'll find out very quickly they would never, ever take something as precious and valuable as a pearl and give that to a pig when they could take that same pearl and sell it to you We'll stop right there. You get the point. Yeah. God has blessed his people. He has, uh, even today. They can be the shrewdest negotiators you've ever seen. And so that's not a very wise deal, is it? Here's a pearl. Worth more than diamonds in this day. Worth more than that. And I'm just going to toss it to some pigs. What's going to happen? The pig, well, Jesus says they're going to trample it under their feet. They're going to, the dogs are going to turn it in and rend you. Trample. This could happen. That, that's the force behind it. It's a rhetoric force. He's using it to make his argument. And so his teaching demonstrates to the disciples, we shouldn't presume that anybody is going to reject the gospel. We offer the gospel to everyone. But when the gospel is rejected, the disciples need to refocus their evangelistic efforts on others. Some commentaries capture this, I think, uh, with this statement. The saying is an admonition about the necessity to limit the time and energy directed towards the hard-hearted. I encountered this when I would witness down on Seville Square. Um, we were easy to, easy to pick out from a crowd because of our uniforms, our afternoon class dress. We would go down into Pensacola downtown and we would take gospel tracts and walk the streets and try to share Christ with folks and share gospel tracts with them and try to lead them to the Lord. Uh, one time I encountered this in my experience. I was warned about it from the Christian service leader. He told me, you need to watch out because they know we're coming and they're looking for us. Well, I was in their target that day. There was a group of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that were down there. And rather than go and try to proselytize what they believed, they thought it their duty because, you know, we're of the devil According to them, you know, we're taking the Bible and teaching people about Jesus and that's of the devil. <laughs> it's a whole other discussion. But they thought they were doing God a service by tying up our college students who would go down and take the Bible and try to share Jesus with people. They thought they were doing the kingdom of God a service by stopping us from preaching the gospel. I, to this day, I can't understand that. But that, that was the truth. And they would sit there and talk with you for hours on end not really caring about hearing what you had to say, but simply wasting your time so that you couldn't go talk to somebody else. That's how it worked out. 
casting your pearls before swine. So I'm going to stand there for three hours and talk about all these precious things and cast pearl after pearl after pearl. No, when too much is too much. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, he said this, Saints are not to be simpletons. They're not to be judges. Jesus covered that in verses 1 through 5. But we're not to be simpletons either. We're not to be fools when it comes to preaching the gospel. We need to know how much time is enough to expend. When we see that we're not getting a good reception, we need to be discerning of that. Know, okay, this is going to be casting pearls before swine, possibly what Jesus was talking about here. Another commentator said it like this, and, and it rings in my ears. Jesus' disciples should neither be inquisitors, judges, nor simpletons. I think they're standing on Spurgeon's shoulders there. Neither censoriousness, is that how you say that? I don't even know. Nor naivety helps the church. Yet unless one has removed the log from one's own eye, one will not be able to discern the difference between a fellow disciple with a relatively minor problem and an enemy who will do great harm to the cause of Christ. That's where these things tie together, see? So if genuine introspection doesn't occur, a disciple may blunder on the side of judgmental hypocrisy or, on the other extreme, naive gullibility. That summarizes it well. Ignorance of oneself is often mixed with arrogance towards others. Ignorance of oneself is often mixed with arrogance toward others. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his exposition studies in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about us being, being the expositors of God's Word, God's people, not just preachers, but you and I, we need to be able to go everywhere preaching the gospel. And we hold these precious truths of the Lord out to others, and we need to know, are they going to be receptive of this? We give it to all. We offer it freely. But when we find out there's a spirit there that just is closed off, then... We don't waste our effort there anymore. In fact, we're instructed by Jesus to dust our feet and keep moving on. Remember, he left the 90 and 9 to find the 1. You may pass out a 1,000 John and Romans before you even find one family that's remotely, slightly, possibly, maybe interested in hearing what you have to say. You might give out a 1,000 gospel tracts before even one person darkens the door to give you an ear to what you believe about Jesus. And so it's not our job to put people in a net. It's our job to simply cast the net. Now let me close with this story because I have verified it and it is validated. Many of you know the Nelsons. Uh, they're dear, dear folks and they've been coming for some time now. Well, I asked Brother Don because I had heard a story years ago when I was at a conference with evangelist Jim Van Gelderen about uh, Dr. Ed Nelson, Don's brother. So let me share with you something that I think is intriguing. We've talked about dusting our feet off as disciples and moving on to the next place. You want a living illustration of that right here in Colorado? As far as I know, every detail of this is absolutely accurate. And I've confirmed it now. I didn't want to tell you until I validated. Listen to this. 1948. It's interesting. That's the year that Israel was liberated. 1948, when they became a state again. 
1948, Dr. Ed Nelson was here. He did church planning efforts all along the Front Range. In fact, our church, Broomfield Baptist, can trace its roots in a way back to Dr. Nelson because of Elmwood Baptist Church, and, and they planted Elmwood Baptist Church. And, and so, I mean, his legacy lives on here. Dr. Ed Nelson in 1948, he was still in college, and uh, I think he was a sophomore maybe. He did some church planting effort and made an endeavor to go up to Dillon. How many of you know where Dillon is? Right up the I-70 corridor. He went up to Dillon, the town that was there at the time in 1948, and he tried to plant a church up there. And uh, nobody, nobody was interested. It reminds me a lot of what I heard with Brother Martinez going over here to Louisville. Not one single family even remotely interested in coming to the services of the church. It baffles me. But I believe that, you know, my pastor, Pastor Randall, has shared with me in confidence. He, he believes that there are certain geographic locations that are under the judgment of God today. And we can confirm that and validate that by what the Holy Spirit even did through the apostles as they went out. They tried to go to Asia, but the Spirit of the Lord hindered them and wouldn't let them go to Asia. Not then, not till later. All Asia eventually heard the word, but at that time, that area was closed off to them. There are places where church planters cannot go today, not because they don't have the desire to or the drive to, but simply because it's closed. So the story continues. Dr. Nelson went up and tried to do some church planting efforts and endeavors up there. There was one lady, he said, that was kind of remotely interested in, in a church getting started up there. So what Dr. Nelson did, I don't know if I would ever have enough courage to do this. I think I would want to seek the Lord and pray and fast. And, but Dr. Nelson goes out to the sign that says, you're now entering Dillon. He approaches the sign and he goes out there and he takes his shoes off and he dusts them right on the sign at Dillon because of the reception or the lack thereof that he had had in Dillon. And he dusted his shoes off, he put them back on, and he went on about his church planting endeavors. And uh, you can trace the history and legacy of all the churches that were planted throughout Colorado in this region. It's amazing to see what God did. Go study the history of Dillon. You'll find out that there's a town under the lake. That was the Dillon that Dr. Nelson went and dusted his shoes off on the sign and left. And strangely, somehow later on, they decided that they needed to just get rid of that town and put a lake there. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine. There are places today where people don't want what you have to offer for Jesus Christ. In fact, they will be so vindictive towards you, they will turn and rend you. And it is a nasty, nasty world. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Yeah, right. They hurt. They hurt a lot. They can do a lot of damage. And so as you're going, don't just blunder through. Give the gospel offered to everyone, free to all. But when you discern that you might be dealing with a dog or a pig, it's time to get out of there. Because if they turn and they can't eat those pearls, they will find something to eat. And it just might wind up being you or someone you love. It's that nasty of a world. And so hopefully that'll help you discern between dogs and pigs and be a disciple with a little more discernment.